Right. What about India? India's a big polluter as well, isn't it? Although it's supposed to be fair if you counted as per head of capital because uh, per capita uh, because it has such a large population it's nowhere near as big a polluter per person as many other countries are but nevertheless it is a big polluter overall what does india need to do india really needs to shift away from uh, burning coal to uh, burning well not burning anything at all to going to uh, renewable energy we always know that they're they're pledging to uh, build the big, uh, one of their largest solar farms in India. Mm. And they are investing into nuclear, which obviously from an environmental NGO point of view, we're not really encouraging that. But that's a low carbon solution. So, mm. And what about here in Hong Kong? Are we doing enough here? What more do we need to do? Hong Kong, Hong Kong, we actually could do a lot of things. I mean, we're like the, Hong, we're the uh, International Finance Center. We could actually help uh, direct financing into, mm. into places where they need these green, green investments. So, um, so things like uh, Belt and Road initiatives, like pro- those projects, so uh, things like renewable energy, um, uh, research and development into green technologies, all these things Hong Kong could actually support. We, it's not just, it's just not something. It's just not enough for us to, to go carbon neutral within the city, but we can also help direct other, other places to go carbon neutral. Okay, Wendell, thank you very much for coming in this morning. That's Wendell Chen, who's Senior Project Officer at Friends of the Earth. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in the markets, Nikkei 225 in Japan off uh, up 1.3%. In Australia, the SX200 up about a quarter of a percent. Uh, looks like the Nikkei 225 is going to add about 150 points at the open. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Stay tuned for Back Chats with Jim Gould and Andrew work let me give you an update on the weather forecast just before i go uh it's going to be mainly fine maximum temperature about 28 degrees rather warm in the next couple of days and one or two rain patches in the morning and at night 25 degrees right now 80 percent relative humidity it's 8 32 with the news here's todd harding Health officials have announced that bookings will open tomorrow for people at high risk of COVID-19 to get a booster shot. People over 60 and those with compromised immune systems will be able to get a third vaccine dose from Thursday next week. Government experts have recommended BioNTech, though people can opt for Sinovac instead. A doctor in charge of a vaccination centre in Jordan said he expects there would be a good response to the booster shots. Samuel Cox says the move was in line with the rest of the world as people's immunity to COVID-19 waned. The third dose uh, is, is a timely approach uh, now because uh, in many parts of the world, um, people are starting to have the third dose and it just... Uh, realize that uh, even people have completed two doses, um, the immunity that's been induced in the body kind of uh, slowly declined over time. University of Hong Kong epidemiologist Ben Cowling says he expects everyone to be offered a third dose eventually. However, he questioned whether the timing was right. If we're planning to, to stay with the zero COVID approach for months or even, even another year, and if we're confident that we can keep case numbers very, very low if, if a fifth wave does occur, then I think it may be premature to do third doses now. It may be better to wait so that we can have more benefit from the protection from the third doses when we really need it, which is when COVID circulating in the community. Ethiopia's Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed has pledged to bury what he described as the enemy with the blood and bones of his forces. He was speaking at an event marking the first anniversary of the war in Tigray. Facebook has removed a post from Mr Abiy calling on civilians to take up arms against the Tigrayans. 
The Tigray People's Liberation Front says it has taken control of another key town, Kermisa. Fissa Aha Egendom is a spokesman for the TPLF. A genocide has been committed against our people. We are under siege. People are dying every day. Abiy Ahmed has refused to open humanitarian corridor to Tigray. So as far as we're concerned, until the international community will be able to deliver food, medicine, telecommunications, these forces will continue to fight and, if need be, march to Addis. This year's Booker Prize for the Best Novel, published in English, has been awarded to The Promise by the South African author Damon Galgut. It explores recent South African history through the wish of a white woman to leave a house to her black maid. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chapter. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Andrew Work. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Jim. Welcome back. On this morning's programme, for our main topic, we're talking about the United Nations Climate Summit in Scotland and the agreements reached so far. More than 100 world leaders attending the COP26 gathering have promised to end and reverse deforestation by 2030. Many countries have also signed up to a partnership led by the US and the European Union to reduce emissions of the potent greenhouse gas methane, which contributes significantly to global warming. The Global Methane Pledge aims to cut emissions by at least 30% by 2030. At the same time, rules proposed by the UK Treasury would require most big companies and financial institutions in the country to show publicly how they plan to reach climate change targets. After 9.15, we're discussing the mental health of Hong Kong students after more than half of those questioned by a youth group showed signs of depression. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 Joining us uh, on the line, we have um, Albert Lai, CEO of Carbon Care Asia, and also uh, Dr. William Yu, founder and chief executive officer of the World Green Organization. And also with us is uh, Tom Ung, a Greenpeace uh, campaigner. Um, okay, um, Albert Lai, um, if we can start uh, with you, please. Uh, good morning. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so your organisation is uh, Carbon Care Asia. Obviously, uh, uh, well, carbon emissions are a, a major, major uh, discussion point for the conference in Glasgow. But th this deal that they've reached on methane, um, methane, of course, it doesn't hang around for as long as carbon dioxide. But, uh, but uh, how significant is that development? Well, yeah, I think the, um, uh, the, uh, the emission of methane, which is actually a very, very uh, potent uh, greenhouse gas, at least 25 times more potent than um, uh, carbon dioxide, uh, that has long been ignored in the past. So I think it's a good sign, you know, that this uh, area, this, this, this particular aspect of greenhouse gas, you know, has come under uh, control, at least a pledge, you know, by the uh, you know, different governments, um, and that, um, uh, and same as the deforestation pledge, um, 
because uh, you know, in terms of the devastation, uh, this time you know we have Brazil uh, joining the uh, the, uh, the countries, you know, in pledging for uh, uh, reduction uh, by 2030. Um, now, but like all these different pledges in the past, uh, our biggest worry uh, is the implementation uh, commitment. Uh, because uh, um, over the years, you know, we have seen many governments uh, making uh, very uh, high-sounding pledges, and then, uh, you know, during commitment stage, um, you know, they all, all of them fall behind. Um, so I think, uh, I'm afraid I have to say that really the devil is in the details, you know, whether uh, the implementation action can actually support the pledges they've made you know, is, is uh, to be, really to be seen. And is this kind of a shoot for the stars, get the moon type of thing? Because, I mean, really, is, has anybody really delivered on their, on any of their, their commitments that they've made in the past? Well, let me give you an example. Um, now, in Paris, when we were there in 2015, mm. um, one of the big issues is that uh, uh, the developed countries, the rich countries, have promised to set up a $100 billion uh, green climate fund to support developing countries. Um, and that $100 billion is talking about yearly commitment of $100 billion. Now, but um, you know, six years have passed. Um, this $100 billion, you know, you know, the, the target has not been met. I mean, it's way below $100 billion. And, 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 and in fact, you know, some of the uh, developed countries, I mean, they're playing tricks in numbers. I mean, they, uh, they shift some of the, uh, their uh, use of foreign aid money uh, into this pledge. Um, so, in fact, they're not uh, having additional funding. Uh, and, and this is why... Uh, over the years, I mean, developing countries are, are rightly saying that, uh, you know, because of the historical emissions by rich countries, they have to shoulder more responsibility. But yet, you know, they fail to deliver uh, over the years. So yeah. the pledges are good, but, you know, but if the pledges are not being met, you know, we are not really seeing significant improvements at all. Yeah, I mean, uh, so when you say it's not being met, a hundred billion dollar target, is it the, you know they hit ninety nine billion and didn't quite make it, or is it like two billion and they're not? No, 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 it's way below. I, I, I think it's a, a bit more than a half. I mean, if you really add up the number, probably about seventy billion or so. So is, right. is that what we um, should expect from this? Then is is it about half? Whenever whenever these big pronouncements come, do they say, well, we're going to do you know X amount of this. If we get to half of that, is that is that pretty? Is that what reality is going to suggest? Is it going to hit about half of these targets? I think, you know, well, everybody knows that, uh, well, I mean, the science has given us very clear data. From the science, you know, if you look at the science, the science are telling us, you know, the situation is getting worse day by day, really day by day. I mean, species are disappearing and, and, and glaciers are melting. Uh, okay, well, that's clear. But when we talk about these pledges, these political pledges um, and political commitments, when we come to political commitments, all the governments have all sorts of excuse uh, to say that, okay, now, for example, they use COVID as excuse, uh, right? I mean, they have to put more money into their own economy and so on. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're not putting money into, into you know, what they have promised earlier. So, 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 so unfortunately, um, uh, you know, when we come to summits like this, governments 
they would, I mean, they are under pressure to 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 make all these pledges and commitments. Now, but when the public's attention has shifted after these summits has ended, then many companies backtrack, many governments backtrack. Uh, uh, I'm afraid that is the reality. Mm. Um, okay, William Yu. Good morning to you. Hi, good morning. Okay, William Yu of the World Green Organization. What's your assessment of the summit so far? Uh, so, sorry, uh, maybe the reception is not good. So okay. I said, can, can you repeat yeah, sure. your question? I said, well, well uh, simple question. What's your assessment of the climate summit so far? Oh, okay. I, I, I don't have... Uh, I, I would like to use, uh, you know, the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson... Uh, uh, kind of uh, description is uh, uh, cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Mm. I, I don't have a high expectation on this kind of summit. Mm. Um, pe uh, people keep talking, um, but I, I think what we really need is the real commitment, taking action, you know, uh, to combat climate change, uh, to lay down the, the roadmap for uh, carbon reduction. I, I think that's more realistic. Okay. Uh, we, we have, you know, been uh, talking for this topic for many, many years, but still we, what we see is the worsening uh, situation, uh, increased carbon emission year by year. So uh, it's quite ironic, I would say. But, yeah, but this uh, this summit is is organised uh, by the United Nations. Um, it's it's the twenty sixth, the COP, uh, a conference of parties. Um, I mean, w what uh, obviously tackling climate change is an international issue. I mean, what better forum could there be for you know, um, d delivering results? Um, I I think now now uh, we we rely on you know the negotiation among. Uh, 200 countries or or maybe uh, the key players of those uh, 10 countries with highest emission. So I, I, I think what we need uh, now is a very down-to-earth action plan uh, as well as, you know, uh, to involve the private sector, you know, to, uh, to solve the problem together. So um, because of the bureaucratic you know, uh, setting uh, of those uh, governments, it's hard to reach consensus within a short period of time. So what, what, I, uh, what I think is more realistic is how to, you know, uh, get this private sector, especially business sector, involved, you know, to, to offer solutions, to offer efficiency, you know, to, to cut down the carbon. I, I think that's more realistic. Okay. Uh, uh, the UK Chancellor, uh, Richie Sunak, says, uh, well, he says the UK is leading the world in becoming the first ever net zero aligned global financial centre. And then um, and then they're going to require major firms and financial institutions to set out how they intend to reach climate change targets. Uh, do you think that's going to be effective? And uh, I mean, what, you know, could we be doing something similar here? Um. I think uh, what what really makes things happen, what really make a difference, uh, you you need policy in place, you need uh, green technology to uh, convert the existing system, and also you need green finance to drive you know uh, 
you know, the, the, to scale up all these po- uh, green projects without greenwashing. So policy, green tech, and green finance must all uh, must all be in place. Otherwise, we we won't see you know uh, much progress. So um, you you know the money can drive change. Uh, so I, I think green finance uh, will play a, a bigger role. Uh, Tom, you're with Greenpeace, and you guys are all about putting pressure on on politicians and trying to drive policy. Uh, you know, how much is, is the real work of COP starting now that the showboating world leaders have all gone home? You know, there's there's more negotiations continuing this week after all the world leaders have made their speeches. Um, but is this when the real action happens? Is after they clear the stage? Well, at this point, uh, we're glad that they have made some pledges. They have promised some things, such as the deforestation or the methane one. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we are expecting real actions as well. Uh, so... Signing or pledging is one thing, but the actions after it is what is what real uh, the real matter is. So yeah, uh, at this point we don't know like uh, are they going to do it or not. But uh, we want we wish all government in the world to work together in this climate issue to tackle this climate change and uh, work together, follow the pledge, and also follows what the scientists are saying that uh, how are we going to reach to like 1.5 degree or reduce our emission. So one of the most important things is cutting our uh, fossil fuel, like uh, cutting our greenhouse gas. And I think the whole, like everything in this conference or their action afterward is like, they need to cut more greenhouse gas instead of just signing it or things like that. Yeah, but I mean, is that, uh, should we be looking for more details to come out the next week to understand if this is actually going to happen or if it's just a lot of hot air? in the next few weeks and uh, in the next week in their meetings uh, there will be more details coming out uh, but we want to know what it is as well at this point as, at this point we only know the whole title and uh, what are they going to do but uh, we want to know more detail okay um uh, albert lie the target is uh, for most of the world uh, carbon neutrality by 2050 uh, that means obviously limiting emissions as much as possible um, and then uh, also taking steps to remove uh, carbon that uh, that does get to, that still does get emitted. Um, how is that going to be achieved? I mean, for instance, um, the other day we were talking to Paul Harris from Education University about this, and and uh, we asked him about uh, carbon capture, and his response was, "Well, forget about it. That's not going to make much difference. Um, how, how do we achieve uh, carbon neutrality in that sense?" The target is to get to net zero by 2050, uh, but even more important uh, is to get down by 40%, 45% by 2030. I mean, because we have to look at a whole kind of a decarbonization pathway between now and 2050. Uh, um, so if we were to achieve a 1.5 degree uh, um, limit in global warming, then we have to get 45% reduction. Now, I think one, well, obviously we have, that, but that means that we have, we need kind of a full-blown um, uh, attack on all fronts. One of the key is about renewables. We have to increase uh, the use of renewables greatly. Um, and that um, uh, 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 the carbon capture uh, is a, quite a controversial subject in a way because um, well, although 
uh, we, we, we think that in, at the end of the, I mean, when we, when we go towards uh, 2050, in order to cut down the net zero, you have to counterbalance the residual emissions by carbon removal. So carbon capture is one of the uh, technologies for carbon removal, removing carbon dioxide, greenhouse gas from the atmosphere. Now, but uh, the worry is that, you know, some companies like oil and gas companies, they may, they may, they may uh, claim that, okay, because we would have best of technologies available, that means we don't really have to cut down it that quickly or we don't even have to cut it down at all. So, so that actually is a very dangerous trend. Um, so I, I think the key is actually between now and 2030, we have to increase grossly the use of renewables. Now, and if you look at the case in Hong Kong, um, uh, the, the government's only plan between now and 2030 is to switch from coal to gas fire. And as all we know, we all know, gas is also a fossil fuel. Um, so we we don't have a serious plan to switch to renewable, even in Hong Kong. And, and I can say that uh, we are missing great opportunities here. For example, also uh, wind farm. You haven't even heard about offshore wind farm in Hong Kong, uh, whereas uh, there is study by Harvard University and by, you know, the uh, Chinese uh, Huazhong University, you know, that um, actually the potential for offshore wind in Hong Kong or along along Chinese coast can supply up to 200% of what we need for the coastal population. Um, and then our neighboring cities like Zhuhai, they're already building uh, lots of uh, offshore wind turbines, you know, in the estuary of the Pearl River Delta and so on. So, so, so uh, you know, for, for a city as wealthy as Hong Kong, we are still necking behind seriously, greatly, in, 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 uh, in using local renewables. So uh, that actually is, is quite horrifying to, to even think about it. I mean, what about other developing countries, you know, you would think? Yeah, Strange, strangely enough, I know, I know a guy who's uh, out there right now trying to convince companies to put solar panels on their rooftops, and they get an excellent uh, rate from CLP for if they do this because they'll get paid for the energy they feed into the grid. Uh, strangely enough, the number one concern building owners have is sealant on the roof. I mean, these are the kind of really small-level technical issues that we're dealing with. You know, they're, they're worried that if you drill to install these things, it's going to puncture a hole in the sealant. They're going to have problems with water leaking in the roof of the building causing damage, you know, which and if the roof falls in, that's kind of a problem. Um, so, I mean, when we've got politicians saying, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, you know, we're going to reduce emissions by this, or I mean, they're so far disconnected from the reality of what is happening on, on, on the issues of something like a roof sealant. Uh, is this why the best we can expect is maybe 50 to 60% of target? Um, well, now, solar panels on the roof is a good thing. In fact, we've been advocating uh, the interior for, for quite some years, and the government finally, a few years ago, they adopted the policies. That's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but we have always been saying that, you know, you have to scale up these renewables. You can't stop as rooftop solar. I mean, the rooftop solar at most can give you, you know, a few percentage, a couple percent. In fact, in fact, at the moment, it's actually less than, you know, less than one percent. Now, uh, and the way to scale it up is that to, to use a lot of public land and, uh, for example, in uh, and also reservoirs. Uh, we are, we are, we should we should have community solar farms, you know, or a lot of uh, uh, of public land. Uh, on either downfield size, for instance, uh, and also on reservoirs. We have 17 reservoirs. I mean, like these, um, okay, the government said, okay, 
why we were investing it, uh, but then um, uh, five years have gone. I mean, you know, the only the only uh, 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 example they've got is built, you know, panels, you know, of, of the size of less than a football field. So this is actually unforgivable in terms of the sophistication, the technology, the financial resources that the city Hong Kong has, and we're still lacking behind. Um, so, so who are we to blame <laughs> when we look at when we look at other developing countries who are lagging behind even further? Mm. Okay, um, William, you um, uh, can I yeah. can I add on uh, yeah. to comment on the carbon capture? Uh, uh, yeah, sure, uh, is that uh, is that William? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Mm. Uh, yeah, this uh, yeah, uh, Dr. William. Mm. So I I think um, um, now the the dilemma is uh, how how we can you know um, to decrease the the amount of coal-fired plants, but as you can see, in in the near term, to remove this coal-fired plant from the equation seems not possible and a bit un, unrealistic. Although we we really need to phase out the, the entire fossil fuel, the, uh, there is no no uh, argument. But um, uh, but considering you know the energy security, all these economic uh, activities, you know how we can keep uh, uh, the minimum level of coal fire, you know, because the, that is to maintain the base load, you know, to ensure we have stable energy supply. Unlike, you know, the renewable, they, they have uh, intermittent features. We don't have, you know, sunlight uh, in the nighttime, you know, to get the solar energy. So, so that's really a, a very challenging transition. Um, mm. So carbon capture and storage, what we call CCS, very expensive. Some drawback mentioned by the guests. So um, to bump all this CO2 into the underground for storage, I, I think that that area is still far away from, you know, a big scale of commercialization. But now we have another uh, technology, CCUS, carbon capture, utilization and storage. So it's to lock up you know, all this CO2 through chemical reaction into product or materials, so to store up all this uh, carbon. I, I, I think uh, that's the area we need to further look into, how to, to um, you know, remove uh, the carbon. Um, so I, I think you, you might agree the recent search in energy price, you know, com- competing for resources for electricity generation. So all countries are not ready, and you, you see, un, very unprepared for the paradigm shift in the energy mix. I, I, I think that's the reality we need to face, and uh, I, I think the action should start now. Uh, how to lay down a, a more aggressive transition plan to renewable to other new energy like uh, hydrogen. So I, I think that's that's the reality. Yeah, hydrogen's an interesting one. I know the uh, Chungkong infrastructure has companies in the UK and Australia that are experimenting with putting hydrogen into, you know, in through natural gas distribution systems. Uh, it's zero emission, you know, still very much in the testing phase, you know, hitting, I think, up to 10% of total total flow through the pipes. But uh, what is your take on that? Are you optimistic about hydrogen as, a, as an energy source? I think... Uh because uh, it's uh, commonly used in the in, in industry uh, uh, the, for the industrialized application is common. Now is how to uh, deploy it in in the uh, public use. Uh, you know uh, to address the concern on safety and storage, especially during the transportation. I, I think that that 
is uh, the standard we need to to uh, set up and also you know uh, to make our infrastructure ready for for this application. Uh, Tom, Tom, yeah, can, I, can I clarify what the concept uh, about hydrogen? Uh, because I think people get confused. Mm. Now there are two really two types of hydrogen. One is a green hydrogen, the other is brown hydrogen. Now, if brown hydrogen is uh, the hydrogen you actually uh, uh, generate from uh, fossil fuel, oil, and gas, now and that is not good at all because ultimately you would uh, have, have carbon emissions. So, mm. what we are focusing on is green hydrogen. Green hydrogen means you have to generate hydrogen from renewable sources, you know, wind, solar, and so on. So, so, so at the end of the day, we still have to uh, find renewable energy sources. Uh, for example, you know, solar, you know, there's a lot of solar uh, energy around, and you, 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 from there, you use the solar, solar renewable to generate hydrogen, and then you ship it to Hong Kong. Now, that would be a very low carbon footprint. Um, but at the moment, there is, isn't such a... Um, uh, sources available. So, so hydrogen, yes, as a transition fuel, uh, uh, you know, um, you know, from uh, imported hydrogen. You know, I mean, Hong Kong, that that's possible, but it doesn't uh, diminish the need for us to have local renewables, local solar, local offshore wind. You know, that is the key that we have to focus on. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, thanks very much, um, uh, Albert Lai. Thank you for joining us uh, on the programme. Um, William Yu and Tom Ung, uh, please uh, stay with us. Uh, we're going to break for the news uh, in just a moment at nine o'clock. We'll be back at three minutes past. Uh, we're talking about the COP26 uh, climate summit in Scotland. Uh, do get in touch. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 And when we come back, after the news summary, I do have a few uh, emails that I will read out. Um, quick look at the weather, mainly fine. Uh, top temperature today about 28 degrees, moderate easterly winds. Um, the outlook is for uh, one or two rain patches uh, in the morning and night heading towards the weekend. Uh, uh, cool in the morning and at night, early to midweek next week. Currently 25 degrees, humidity 79%. Significance. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back to Back Chat with uh, Andrew Work and me, Jim Gould. And before we uh, continue our discussion about the Climate Change uh, Summit in Glasgow, in Scotland, a uh, few emails here from listeners. Um, Peter writes, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen unveiled the methane pledge saying so cutting back on methane emissions is one of the most effective things we can do to reduce near-term global warming and keep 1.5 degrees c that's the uh, target for rise in global temperature it is the lowest hanging fruit even though the impact of methane as one of the most potent greenhouse gases is well understood one has to wonder why now and not decades before cop 26 was just another talk shop designed to fail. The COP26 organisers allowed the Queen to address world leaders via video message but deliberately excluded Xi and Putin from doing the same. Meanwhile, Biden accuses China and Russia of failing to lead at COP21. 
Uh, how can the West agree to make progress on climate change mitigation when they can't even agree on nuclear arms reduction for the past decades? The last and final hope to mitigate climate change was fatally destroyed when the US, under Joe Biden, decided to double down on Trump's China containment policies, making it his top priority to treat China as America's top adversary. That from Peter Umesh says... Uh, of uh, all the meetings that could have been Zoom meetings, you would think a climate conference would be the first on the list. What a joke, even the UK contingent, who could have used rail or road, but instead chose to fly. Total farce. That from Umesh. Um, Vic says, uh, Dear Backchat, when, government change, when governments change, policies change. US is a good example. In India, if Modi fails to get re-elected, policies will change. Even promises Modi makes are never set in stone. He, he is uh, known to make grand statements and not deliver on them. The only solution is to create a climate change department under the UN to which the bureaucracy from each country will report directly and stay on the path set by the UN, irrespective of which political party is ruling. Uh, Rick says, before Hong Kong starts pontificating on global warming, sustainability, etc., we ought to start thinking about what we can do to change our appalling behaviour. I was at Hong Kong Stadium last Saturday for the rugby. Uh, good old stadiums selling bottles of water but pouring into plastic glasses. You really couldn't make it up. And... Uh, Dan writes uh, on actually on another topic. This is what we were talking about yesterday about hiking safety. Um, dear Backchat, uh, good discussion on hiking safety and related issues yesterday. There are many hiking groups in Hong Kong that are run by volunteers offering free normal hikes, bushwhacking, stream trekking and more. Most of them can be found at meetup.com. Hong Kong Hiking Meetup, for example, has 26,000 members and offers daily adventures for all skill levels. All hikes are, relate, are rated according to level of difficulty, making it easier to select a hike that correlates with the hiker's current fitness and experience level. Hiking in groups is the best way to enjoy the countryside in Hong Kong. Only those who are very experienced and well prepared should hike alone, except for easy routes with lots of foot traffic. Stay safe, everybody. And that was and that was from Dan, who's a, an assistant organizer at uh, Hong Kong Hiking Meetup. Okay, um, right. So uh, back to our discussion. Um, so let's see, we still have with us Dr. William Yu, who's founder and chief executive officer of the World Green Organization, and Tom Ung, Greenpeace campaigner. Um, um, Tom Ung, if we could ask you, um, on this agreement about uh, cutting methane emissions uh, by at least 30% by 2030, um, how much of a difference is that going to make? Like every step matters, like uh, because like we need to cut all kind of greenhouse gas, including but not limited to methane, and also we need to cut carbon emission and also other greenhouse gas. But uh, we think that this plan uh, actually fell short. Why did I say that? Because like 
IPCC uh, had the report like two months ago. It says that uh, if we want to limit the global rising by 1.5 degree, we need to cut half of the methane uh, methane by uh, 2030. And now the pledge is only saying 30%. So uh, we think that the whole meeting, the whole summit should follow what the scientists are saying. The scientists already gave us, like the UN scientists already gave us the numbers of what the target needs to be. And it, which is 50%, and now the meeting is like saying they are going to pledge for 30%. So we think it's felt short. And also, um, so yeah, um, it's also a little, a little too late because uh, climate crisis is right at the door already. Uh, we don't have much time. We need to uh, do more aggressive stuff to uh, combat the climate crisis. I mean, methane is a gas which is, uh, uh, well, produced from various sources, but a lot of it's to do with agriculture, isn't it? And in, in particular, uh, raising uh, cattle. Um, uh, is this kind of a reminder or a suggestion to, like, individual consumers that they should think about maybe, you know, changing their diet and going, uh, going, yes, going yes. vegetarian or vegan? Yeah? related to fossil fuel but also related to our diet as well and in the pledge or in the summit it doesn't it didn't mention anything about like uh, our our people's diet so we think that like this should also be included in the discussion in the cop 26 that uh how is like how are they going to influence the people in their diet choice like in all, it, it is also not the government choice but also like our own choice like if we want to contribute to the climate change like we should also change our diet like less meat more vegetable to reduce the greenhouse gas Mm. Tom, can I clear something up here that you know you hear people talking about people blame uh, a lot of the methane emissions on cow farts but it is in fact not cow farts is it isn't it coming out the front end because they're actually belching as as a result of their four stomach ruminant diet like uh this coming from the front of them from the back <laughs> the point is like this like this meat industry uh, but it is coming out of uh, and the fossil fuel is creating like different kind of greenhouse gas so what we need to do is uh, reduce our greenhouse gas from all sources like not only from our meat industry not only from our fossil fuel but also from our wasteland and all sources mm. there's been some talk about uh concrete and the way that we process concrete making changes is that something that's on your radar we do have like green buildings, like uh, asking for greener buildings uh, around the globe, also in Hong Kong. So uh, concrete is also like creating like different kind of greenhouse gas and greener buildings not only means that renewable energy in the building or like rooftop solar farm, but uh, it also means that when you build a building, uh, you use uh, greener materials like uh, some better concrete or like concrete that has less climate impact. Okay, uh, we were talking earlier about uh, uh, monitoring and enforcement of uh, various agreements. Um, um, this deal about um, uh, cutting and reversing deforestation by 2030, uh, William Yu, um, do you have any concern that you know that's like nine years down the road and we may end up losing a lot of uh, forest uh, between now and 2030 before um, the, you know the, the that new agreement comes into effect? Um, I, I think um, that is the, the the main concern because, as you know, um, we we have all these forests to help absorb the the carbon emissions. But now, uh, 
uh, you know, especially um, you heard about the rainforest in Amazon. Uh, so the Amazon rainforest, um, uh, originally they can, you know, absorb like uh, they can generate like seven percent of uh, oxygen, you know, for for our uh, uh, for us. But now uh, many uh, forests has now turned to be, uh, you know, not not absorb but uh, to release, you know, uh, uh, carbon emissions. So, so I think that's a, a very big, big problem. Um, so how to keep all these forests? And also I, I hope to link all these forests to the carbon trading uh, mechanism. Uh, that is to, you know, to generate more forests uh, or doing more uh, forestation projects in order to generate carbon credit. Uh, but that must be verified, okay? That's the true, true credit uh, verified by uh, the third party uh, rep- uh, with reputation, and then uh, we we can you know uh, trade all these carbon credits to help to offset you know the emissions uh, from this sector or other sector. So uh, that's uh, very important, and also we need to. You know, evaluate the, the the real contribution made by all these uh, uh, forestry projects. You know, some some forestry project we need expert to involve. It's a cross discipline collaboration. Um, you know, um, that is to create a habitat that is to enhance the bio, biodiversity. I, I think that's a very important part that um, we we need to make sure the forestry projects will carry out all these um, ecological functions. Yeah. Are you, are you, with this deforestation thing, are you guys a little skeptical about this? I mean, if Bolsonaro in Brazil has signed on, this is, this is making me cock an eyebrow at it because, uh, I mean, do we know what the details are? Is it set up so they can just, you know, harvest as much forest as they can, cut down as much as they can between now and 2030 because then they're going to have to put a cap on it and be like, okay, now we're not going to cut down, you know, or we will replace what we cut down in the future? I mean, what are the details of this? Yeah, I, I think that requires a very closely monitoring, uh, you know, on, on this uh, situation, you know, regarding the deforestation. And also, I think the, the local farmers, um, in order to, you know, uh, uh, expect a higher gain in, in, in the uh, crop productivity sometimes they just burn down you know the area sure. uh, yeah so so i i think a uh, lot of problems that should be addressed uh, yeah but but this specific deal do you actually know what's in it do either of you have any visibility as what is in this deal um what what i know i i just read from from the uh, information um now is um you know the situation hasn't improved much since last time, you know, a, a big fire, uh, you know, all, all this. So, so we we need to closely monitor. Tom, do you have any uh, do you have any insights as to what's actually in this deal? Oh, we don't know much about like what is inside yet because they haven't published yet. But at this point, we know that they're going to do it by twenty thirty. So we think that is a green light for another decade, which is, which is not good. Like they have another decade to burn down the forest, and that is very threatening to the whole world. Uh, it's also going to re- require a reforestation, isn't it, as well as a, a, an end to deforestation. Um, uh, just looking at mainland China, for instance, um, at, 
they have a current commitment to plant uh, 36,000 square kilometres of new forest uh, every year. Uh, that's more than the total area of Belgium. Um, and that's up until the year 2025. Um, uh, do you have any thoughts about that and, and the, the, the mainland uh, uh, reforestation campaign, if you like? William, you? Um, I, I think uh, now they have a very strict uh, uh, you know, requirement on this uh, forestation uh, management project. And they classify different forests you know, into different types. Some are conserved that you cannot cut the trees locking down any trees in the uh, specific area. And also you have to, you know, um, uh, uh, only you, uh, they, they have a very clear boundary. And some forests uh, even uh, monitor under the satellite. Uh, so if, if they found uh, uh, locking activities happen in those areas, <laughs> even they will, uh, what I was told, you, they will send the police or army to, to that area, so it's closely monitored, and they have uh, the Chinese government set the target to increase the forestry area year by uh, in the five-year plan. They all set uh, very clear figures. So now uh, I know it's uh, uh, quite strict in this area, but still you can grow trees in the specific farm or in the uh, specific area uh, uh, after application. So. Is closely monitored, but I, I think now the key is how to speed up the entire process. Mm. Yeah, I, th I think a lot of China's reforestation efforts are focused on the northern border. They're trying to hold the desert back because uh, they've got real problems with you know the desert advancing. But it's a little bit like uh, King Canute trying to hold back the tide. It's a it's a tough job. Tom, are well, we... a, that, that is a lot of trees to to plant. So so hope, hopefully it will have a positive effect. Yeah, mm. yeah. Tom, um, are we? You know, Greenpeace is known for uh, big stunts. Uh, have they going? Are they going to be making any big efforts uh, during the rest of this COP twenty six conference? Well, uh, nearly every day we have two uh, like different organizations, including us, are having some like protests outside the conference and like different offices around the globe, like. Greenpeace office are like responding to different issues. So uh, at this point, we cannot discuss uh, discuss much much about this. Like what are we doing mm -hmm. this action? But um, during this conference and after the conference, we will continue to urge different government to uh, use real action to combat the climate change. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, thank you both uh, very much for joining us uh, on the programme this morning. Uh, that was uh, Tom Ung, who you, you heard there, who's a Greenpeace campaigner, and also Dr William Yu, founder and chief executive of the World Green Organisation. And before nine o'clock, we heard from Albert Lai, CEO of Carbon Care Asia. And uh, for the last uh, ten minutes uh, of the programme this morning, we're going to be turning our attention to um, very much a, a local issue, um, and that is the uh, the Hong Kong Federation of Youth Groups uh, has uh, carried out a survey uh, suggesting that one in two secondary school pupils uh, feel uh, badly stressed and uh, about the same proportion uh, report having symptoms of depression. Uh, the Federation said the findings uh, came from uh, online questionnaires given to 3,600 students uh, last month in October. And it said that 49% reported uh, suffering from high levels of stress, adding that while uh, uh, this was uh, four percentage points lower than the result of a similar survey last year, it was still higher than before the pandemic. 
And at the same time, 52% of the pupils uh, reported uh, depression symptoms such as uh, concentration problems and um, issues uh, with sleeping. That's according to the uh, Hong Kong Federation of Youth Groups. Um, we're joined now on the line by a registered uh, psychologist, uh, Dr. Vincy Chung. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks. Hi, I'm Vincy. Yes, uh, good morning, Vincy. Thanks for joining us. Um, what do you make of these survey findings? Uh, the survey findings coincide with, uh, with what we experience and see in students um, uh, before and after the pandemic. Um, they do have lots of changes in terms of uh, going to school and also restart uh, school after a long break uh, from uh, physical contact, that change brought up quite big stress from a lot of students. And we do see that in clinical services, that uh, in resuming school, uh, many people, uh, many students get the demotivation uh, of getting up, uh, putting, facing the actual uh, teachers, students, and the competition becomes very in faith about uh, restarting school. Mm -hmm. Is it Hasn't it always been this way in Hong Kong? I mean, we, we have a high-pressure education system. I mean, I'd be surprised if, like, 90% of kids weren't stressed out. Well, before uh, before the pandemic, uh, we have always been very stressed, and our levels are quite high anyway before the pan pandemic yeah. because of the high competition in our school system. Yeah, I mean, it's by design, isn't it? Yes, that's why uh, I do see lots of anxious kids uh, going back to school uh, uh, in clinic settings. We do have more students coming forward from their anxiety attacks, panic attacks, uh, uh, because of the exam stress and also uh, stress about mingling back with uh, peer pressures. Mm. I mean when you see these kind of these kind of surveys come out and they say, oh, you know, kids have depression, that sounds very serious. You're like, oh, they're having problems concentrating. Well, I mean, they're teenagers. Come on. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, you know, I mean, like, are, are we seeing a similar, is, is, there, is, there, is there any kind of an indicator in more substantive measurements, like, you know, people that are showing up at hospitals for self-harming, suicide rates? I mean, those are, those are quite solid metrics. Are we seeing any kind of a change in those numbers? higher rates uh, as indicated by this survey, higher uh, stress, depression rates. Um, in terms of suicide rates, we do have quite a number of recent reports of uh, a few cases of uh, secondary and one primary student uh, with suicide deaths uh, within the two months, quite recent reported mm -hmm. cases. Okay, but I mean, are they statistically significant, you know, compared to previous years? I uh, cannot say that because uh, results, uh, I mean, these surveys uh, haven't seen uh, so tightly, you know, we usually do that in every few, around five to ten years, so uh, cannot see that recent survey not out yet. Oh, wow. Okay. They only survey that every five to 10 years. I mean, you think that, that those kind of numbers would be fairly, you know, would be easier to track. Yes, 
Yeah, um, it depends on. The, it's not a systematic one. Um, it's done by NGOs and uh, universities. They uh, get whether they get funding to do these big surveys. Wow. So it's not like a systematic survey that is coming to by the government every few years, like the census. Really, like, like the coroner's department doesn't keep track of suicides. I mean, that I find that astounding. You know. But we do have a uh, uh, suicide uh, data um, because it get reported and picked yeah. up, and um, you can see that. Okay. Okay. So that doesn't exist. Tell us more about how the uh, return to school could be affecting student stress levels. Um, I mean, wouldn't it be sort of uh, fair to assume that a lot of students would be happy to go back to school because they wouldn't have to like stay home in perhaps a you know a small apartment and uh, and have to study online? Yes, uh, it's true. Um, I would say a lot of students are very glad finally can get back to school, finally can go out. Uh, many of them are very glad. Um, quite a big, quite a significant portion uh, feel that um, that pressure to go back, to get back to the routine, because um, during the break from physical school, uh, many build up. Um, cyber addiction uh, because you would be using a lot of uh, uh, online games and you know online social media that sort of uh, environment uh, help them to you know to build that addiction and that also breaks them from the daily routine of getting up early sleeping early that um, that needing to move to a change of routine, add that stress to it. And other clinical uh, significant issues would be the motivation. Um, they lack the motivation and before, but now that you have to really face day-to-day homework uh, in, in class time, as well as after class time, uh, those kind of structure uh, make them feel anxious. Um, and the uh, face-to-face, more in the face competition is severely experienced by many of them, and exams become, you know, getting back to their routine, whereas before, uh, the exam would be, you know, like home exam or less frequent. Now that you are back to school, all this frequency uh, gets to a higher level. You know, you talk about the use of computers uh, and things at home, and I think parents probably have a tougher time now because, you know, they want to get their kids off the computer, say, okay, no, you, you try to reduce the screen time, and every time the kids turn around and say, no, I've got to use it for school, you know, and as soon as you walk out of the room, they're back on video games or whatever, uh, you know, because the kids have this this thing that, you know, supposedly they need it all the time for school. Parents finding it hard to connect or figure out what's going on can, are there new stress factors that you can make parents aware of right now that you can tell us that parents should be looking out for, things that maybe they would not have been aware of three or four years ago because it wasn't a factor? Um, uh, to the parents, they do need to monitor uh, how they, uh, uh, whether there is uh, social withdrawal. Social withdrawal is a very important factor to look for um, in terms of their um, impact on uh, mental health. It's an, quite a very good indicator of mental health issues mm. or issues they have with the social environment, such as school and peers. 
if they withdraw from the school, from clubs, uh, from sports that they usually like, um, and uh, put themselves more in their own room, uh, engage in uh, on online games, uh, with then withdraw from the physical contacts of uh, people and circles and groups. That will be a very important indicator. Now that uh, schools are open, a lot of uh, clubs and activities are resumed. Okay. Uh, well, thank you very much for speaking to us on the programme. I know you're on a deadline and have to go. Uh, Dr. Vinci Chung there, who's a registered uh, psychologist. Uh, thank you. And just before we uh, come to the end of the programme, uh, a couple of more emails. Um, so, uh, re well, relating to our earlier topic about the uh, Climate Change Summit, uh, uh, Paul says, uh, as with Monday's show, there is a noticeable absence of guests who disagree with the whole green agenda. This is propaganda and not a discussion. Um, S writes, um, being vegetarian for climate change needs more discussion. Large amounts of land is used to grow vegetables and a lot of pesticide and fertiliser is used. Also, does anyone know the impact of removing meat products from a diet? A lot of animal products are used as supplements for those who are vegetarian. So will it be window dressing after all? OK, um, lots to think about uh, today and lots sure. more to talk about in the future. Thanks to our listeners. Thanks to everybody who wrote in. Uh, thanks very much to you, Andrew. My pleasure, Jim. OK, uh, let's have a quick uh, look at the weather before we go to the news summary and morning brew. It's going to be mainly fine. Top temperature about 28 degrees, moderate easterly winds. Fresh offshore at first. The outlook uh, rather warm in the next couple of days and there will also be one or two rain patches in the morning and at night. Winds will strengthen from the north later on Sunday with temperatures falling appreciably. Cool in the morning and at night, early to midweek next week. It's currently 25 degrees, humidity 77%. The chief executive has announced the 2021 policy address. With the national security law and improved electoral system, Hong Kong is back on the right track of one country, two systems. We will continue to leverage our unique advantages to boost the economy. The artificial islands in the central waters and the northern metropolis development strategy will fundamentally resolve the land and housing problem. Building a bright future together, the 2021 policy address. The new summary with Vicky Wong. A doctor in charge of a vaccination centre in Jordan says he expects there would be a good response to the booster shots as people's immunity to COVID-19 waned. However, University of Hong Kong epidemiologist Ben Cowling has questioned whether the timing of the booster shots with bookings to open tomorrow for people at high risk is right. And the International Criminal Court will investigate whether crimes against humanity were committed during Venezuela's 2017 clampdown on anti-government protests. I'll have more on these stories at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Hello. How are you? You're not too bad at all. Good morning. Hello. You never face chat with me, Phil? Good morning. He's got the Tom and Jerry type violence. It's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zing. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. And that it is. Welcome to Thursday on The Morning Brew. Great to be back with you. 
Let's see what's going on. Well, last night, Operation Santa Claus 2021 was launched and broadcast online from RTHK's Big Studio One, which I found out yesterday was where parts of Below the Lion Rock were filmed back in the 70s. History at your fingertips, eh? So after 10, I'm going to play a little feature lovingly made, lovingly quarried by Steve James to let you into the whole vibe of the evening. Yeah, it was absolutely wonderful. Brilliant artists, the whole bit. So at 11.10, our vet, Dr David Gething, will be with us to answer any of your furry questions and to talk about broken bones and tails and things. Morningbrew at rthk.hk, but the easiest way is to pop a message underneath my notes for this morning's programme. On Facebook, after 12, our monthly trip to a pre-dawn Verona in Italy, where our friend JC Viennes will deliver this month's wine wine. So join JC on Facebook Live. This is Rock and Roll Radio. Come on, let's rock and roll with the remote. 